0: Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. Earlier this week, you heard from Oliver James, who had really unfortunate experiences in school. He actually graduated from high school, functionally illiterate, and he and I talked about what he did to overcome and address those deficiencies. In this episode, you will hear from Janelle Wood and Shannon Hayes of Black Mothers Forum. Black Mothers Forum is moving forward with its plans, its own program for addressing What it sees as problems in the educational system. I talked to Janelle and Shannon about what that organization is doing. I'm not here to uh, endorse it and suggest that it is the right thing, and certainly not the right thing for everyone. But what I am endorsing is the notion that people who don't have special influence and who don't have access to the highest uh, levers of power and unlimited uh, bank accounts. I'm endorsing the notion that people like that can uh, really think outside of the box and come up with their own solutions for addressing really big problems. So listen to my conversation with Janelle and Shannon. Thank you for listening and being here. Welcome to the podcast, Janelle Wood and Shannon Hayes. Janelle is the founder of Black Mothers Forum. Shannon Hayes runs operations for that nonprofit. Black Mothers Forum was founded to break the school-to-prison pipeline. I understand you run 10 micro-schools, all of which are based in Arizona. I want to know everything about all of it. But first, welcome, ladies. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Tell us first a little bit about why you founded this organization. I know you have a little boy. Maybe he's not so little anymore, but once upon a time he was. uh, And he is really what motivated you. His experience is what motivated you uh, to start Black Mothers Forum. Tell
1: us a little bit about that. Tanya, thank you so much. My experiences, I didn't realize at the time what was going on. And in most black mothers at the time, when you're going through something, when your child is being always constantly pulled aside and talked to and you as a mother keep getting called to come to the school. At that point, I just thought it was only me and didn't think anything of it. But as I continued to grow, and he continued to grow, and I continued to do different things in life, we got him on through, thank goodness. He's graduated, married, and has a beautiful wife. That left a a lasting impression on me. And for years, I've always been the person, I believe, to bring a voice to people who don't have a voice. And in 2014, as I was going about my daily life, I'm actually a minister. So I do a lot of work in the community. I work with the prison community. I've worked with the drug community. And there was this thing that came to me where I was looking at the television and I started seeing all of these issues with our Black community and our sons. And so in 2015, I went ahead and got myself educated on the mass incarceration of Black people through Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow. And as I started to look into that and go through book studies, I started to recognize a pattern. And then I said, I have to meet with black mothers. I have to meet with the mothers, but didn't quite know what that was, Tanya. And then in July of 2016, I decided to call a meeting with black mothers. And before that meeting, a black young man who was unarmed was shot and killed by an off-duty officer in Tempe, Arizona. And when I finally met with these mothers on August 7, 2016, there was such an outcry. 40 black mothers showed up concerned about the well being of their black sons. I was concerned because we do our best to raise up our young men to be respectful, to be productive, and yet because of the color of their skin, they are always characterized as monsters, as criminals their behaviors demonized. And I saw that as I reflected back on my own son. And I said, we've got to do something about this. And so the mothers came together and we said, there are three urgent things that we must address. Number one, keeping our children safe from these systems that continually adversely impact them just based on their color and their mannerisms. Dealing with the school to prison pipeline and dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. I told the mothers, mothers, this is a big task. We can't do it all. What are we going to focus in on? And the mothers agreed that the system that has had the greatest adverse impact on our children at an early age is that school-to-prison pipeline and dealing with what's going on in the educational system. So we turned our focus... on on what is going on in these schools and why are our children's behaviors being criminalized? Why are they being demonized? And why are they being expelled and suspended at a higher rate than anyone else? I was always at my child's school, intervening and interrupting potential suspensions and expulsions. And that's because I was blessed to have a job that I could leave and flex in and out of to get to the school so many of our black mothers, and so many of our parents have to work during the day that they don't get the opportunity to be at the school and to be there to interrupt some of these um, consequences in disciplinary practices that they are inflicting on our children. And they're frequent, they're punitive, and they're over minor infractions. And so when we started digging into this a little bit more, we recognized a pattern. Uh, it's called disproportionate disciplinary practices that we were seeing with our black students, especially our black male students in predominantly most of our public and public charter schools. I don't know if this is going on across the nation, but I know it's going on here. And I've heard from other states that it's going on there as well.
0: There's also a lot of data that indicates that young black people, black kids, black children are often perceived as older and treated as older by disciplinary authorities. Uh, Shannon, has that been your experience? Uh, Are you a mother? Do you have a child who lived through some of this in the educational system? Absolutely. Uh, My son is my oldest child.
2: He is 31. But growing up in Arizona and going through the school system, a lot of what Janelle experienced is what I experienced with him as well. And it was that he wasn't being challenged, he wasn't being understood. And so it was constant back and forth to the schools. But what we are seeing with the families that we serve is that our black boys, our sons, are looked at as older than what they actually are. It seems that they start to get scary to the powers that be around eight, age eight, and they're looked at as older than um, what their little bodies even show. And they're just considered a threat. So that is what we're seeing.
0: How does one go from having children in this system and you're watching this disproportionate discipline happening? How do you go from that point to, you know what, I'm going to start a micro school. And first, Janelle, explain if you would, what is a micro school and how do these micro schools that Black Mothers Forum
1: is operating work? So how did we go there? We've been doing this for about the past seven years. One day it dawned on me, we can keep going in one case at a time, dealing with school boards, dealing with superintendents, dealing with principals, and we're going to wear ourselves out, pointing out to them how their policies are in conflict with their practices. It came to me one day, I said, you know what? In 2019, I said, we can't keep at this pace. We don't have the manpower or the wherewithal to keep at this pace. And because we keep asking them to set up safe and supportive learning environments and they keep telling us, well, we're getting equity training, Ms. Wood. We're getting diversity and equity inclusion directors, Ms. Wood. We're doing all these things. We're doing implicit bias training, Ms. Wood. And it dawned on me, by the time you all get your minds shifted and your practices changed, There's gonna be a whole nother generation of students go through who have been traumatized and have been, who have lacked and been excluded from a good education because they've been suspended. So we decided we need to look for something else. So I said, okay, let's look at a charter school. Couldn't afford that. That takes too long. We need an in the meantime, right now solution. We looked at homeschool. Well, many of our black parents can't do homeschools because they gotta work. So then in 2019, our former executive director at that time, Deborah Colbert-Green, she came across a group called Prenda. And she came across these things called micro schools. And she said, you know, why don't you take a look at these? And so um, I decided to take a look at them in 2019, towards the end of 2019. But then guess what happened? 2020. 2020 hit, and I got a chance now to sit down go through the training. I became a learning guide. I went through the training on how to set up a micro school, gave me time to do that. And it also gave us time to not have to keep running back and forth to those schools to keep our children out of trouble because they were at home now. So we had a break. So with that, I got a chance to learn what is a micro school. A micro school is not a mini version of the traditional school setting. A micro school is a, a smaller learning environment where parents as students and even educators who want to be involved in this come together and they create a learning environment that creates a safe space for our children to be who they are created to be, as well as guide them through their learning process at their pace, without shame, without judgment and teaching them not only how to learn, but to be able to manage themselves. And so when we started with Prenda, Prenda's concept was one, uh, adult to 10 students. Well, we recognize quickly, Tanya, that many of our children, when we brought them in in 2021 is when we started our micro schools, January 2021, we started with 13 students. We had two micro schools because a micro school is five to 10 students.
0: And it takes place within the larger
1: school setting? No, they can be anywhere. So um, the way Prenda had it set up was in people's homes, oh, okay. because remember schools at least here were still shut down. And so we ended up uh, renting a space in, in a nonprofit and they let us have two rooms and we had rooms that were 800 to 900 square feet rooms. So the children had space because remember COVID was going on and we were trying to keep spacing and all of that. We started to recognize that a smaller learning environment is what our children desperately needed. We knew and we've told everyone black mothers are the experts on what's best for their children in a discussion, right? We know what we want and we know what our children need. And so no one was listening to us. But now with the micro schools, we now got a chance to demonstrate that we know what's best for our children. And guess what, Tanya? Our children are growing. We saw a significant increase in their academics in four months. Our children who came to us in January 2021, and Shannon's baby was one of them. Her daughter was one of them, and I'll let Shannon explain to you the the what she saw happen in her daughter in four months that hadn't happened the whole time she'd been in edu- in, in this educational arena. And your daughter was at what age that time, Shannon, when we brought she her up?
2: She was on? finishing sixth grade, so she was eleven.
0: So I would love to hear, Shannon, I I would love to hear both about what happened during those four months, those first four months of your daughter's experience. And then also, uh, since you're head of operations, explain like how they work. Do they track uh, traditional school grades? Are there, uh, is there testing at the end of a grade? Like how do they, are, are the kids uh, challenged to stay up to grade level? Do they exceed that do, or, or do they even exceed it? Explain just a little bit. I wanna hear about your daughter and then I wanna hear about how they work in practice. Absolutely. My daughter, I'm,
2: she's my youngest, and when she started school, I knew that the traditional public school system was not going to work for her, but I tried it anyway. Kindergarten didn't work, so I moved her to a charter school that focused on performing arts as well as academics. We had a good experience there, but then again, COVID, and so they weren't equipped to handle the students um, online. So then at the same time, we were starting the micro-schools, I put her in the micro school. So she was one of the first students to graduate in that first year. Um, she finished up sixth grade. But what I saw was that when she started at the micro school, what we do is we bring the students in and we give them an assessment to see where, where they are. And all of our classes, our micro schools are blended. So you have mm-hmm. K through two. I think at the time that we started, it was K through three. K through three. three. And then, K through three
1: <clears> throat> throat>
2: Four through Four through. Right. Eight. They come in and they assess to see where they are. And it doesn't matter what grade the public school said they should have been. It doesn't matter about their age. It what matters is their ability. And so with, with my daughter, she tested lower than I expected um, just with the assessment. And so they were able to see where she was and build her up within four months. So now I had a child who was in sixth grade traditionally, but was probably at a fifth grade level level traditionally. And within four months leaving and graduating out of sixth grade, she was at a seventh, in between seventh and eighth grade level. And so I'd never seen that before. Never seen that before. But what what she gained from that too was accountability. She was able to be a mentor to her peers, to the younger students. She learned to advocate for herself as well as others. This, in, just in this small communal set, setting, I liken it to the old time schoolhouse. You know, back in the day, we weren't able to go to school. We had to bring the community together and we taught our children. And so that's what I look at it as. But in operations, the way that the micro schools work is we do bring them in and we do assess to see where they are. And then our, our coaches, we call them student development coaches, they help guide the student through to their next level, through whatever their goals are. So daily, the students come in, we have community circle so that they can check in with one another, everybody can get out what they need to get out, they can share whatever it is that they're concerned about or what they're excited about, and then they all hold one another accountable and they support each other throughout their day. So they set their goals for the day, for the week. And um, the guides help them, or the coaches help them, help guide them through that process. With that, we don't use traditional grading. So again, it's more about the ability and the capability of the student. And it is student-led. So the students will let you know what it is that they need, what it is that they're working towards, what works for them and what doesn't. We work on their learning love languages, communication styles, learning styles so that they inherently know who they are and they have the autonomy to be who they're supposed to be. And we continue to help them grow through that process.
1: Shannon, you, you nailed it. And, and it, it brings me to one of our little babies. He was five years old. And he, and let me just tell you this, Tanya, I tried to be the, the coach. What I found out when I started this This is not Miss Janelle's calling. (laughs) (laughs) Little people love the little people. Just not my calling, but but I worked with them for six to eight weeks. They could not wait till they got me out of the room. They're like, please find somebody else to replace her, and we did. (laughs) But anyway, this little young man, he was so smart, and because he was so smart, he had been suspended in by by kindergarten two times. He was exercising his voice he was intimidating people with his questions and they said like what we said they like you said they always treat our children as older than what they are he was only 5 he was we teach our we teach our children to ask questions to get an understanding we've always said that if you don't understand something baby get get an understanding and that's all he was doing and he was challenging them because they didn't know how to respond so this same child comes to us his mother put him in she just started homeschooling him because she was like I don't think he'll ever be able to go to school. She puts him in the micro school and she says, "Miss Janelle, they called me all the time. So I'm on, you know, standby. If you need me, just call me. And I know he's going to do blah, blah, blah. Well, he did blah, blah, blah. But the difference is, is that we responded differently. And what I did is this is what helped us develop our, our discipline, our correction model that we use now. Our connection model is called Connect and Redirect. That's how it started. He was the reason why I started it because he was having a moment. And what I did was I got down on his level and I looked him in the eye. His little cute little five-year-old eyes. And I said, tell me what is going on? What's wrong? And he couldn't focus. I said, I need you to look me in the eye and tell me what's going on. And you know what he told me, Tanya? Because he knows I have too much energy and I just need to run (laughs) this off. He said that. That's what he told me. I just need to run this off. And I said, OK, so if I take you outside and we run, are you going to be all right? He said, I think so. I said, OK. So we got up and we left the room and I let him run. And he ran and ran. And I, I checked in on him. I said, are you OK? You about done? And he said, I think I got one more in me. I said, OK, run another lap. He ran another lap, came back in. I said, we ready to get ourselves? He said, I'm ready. He came back in. He said he was hungry, gave him a snack. And I looked him in the eye and I told him, I said, you know what? I just see that you you are such a leader and you really have it all together here. You know what you want. I said, I believe you can do anything. I believe you can even be the president of the United States if you want to. That's how smart you are. And you know what he said to me, Tanya? What? He looked me back in the eye and he said, you see that too? I love it. Our children know. And unfortunately, the system has beat that out of them, so to speak. Has shamed it out of them and it has made them to the point where they don't, they question and doubt their true power. And the micro schools have said, Here you go. We're giving you back. Here's your power. This is who you really are. Here's your voice. We're going to teach you how to use it in a way that gets you where you need to be. Because we see you, and that's where our children have been missing someone seeing them. And we see them in the micro schools. They feel seen. They feel heard. And that's the big difference. And that makes all the difference in the world for anybody, Tanya. When someone sees you, and they hear you, you can fly.
0: That emotional connection is important. And I would imagine, that especially for younger people, it uh, it's an important part of their kind of learning how to interact and engage with people in a healthy way. What about the... Two plus two is four. We're learning algebra, science, mm-hmm. English. Like what about the sort of black letter basics
1: as the it rigor. were? Yeah, the rigor. the rigor. So that that part is called conquer time. And so they get an opportunity. So their day is, 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 is it, it moves, it flows. So they know their day, we start off with community circle time. This is where we check in. How are you doing? How was last night? What are we going to do today? Making sure everyone gets a chance to share how we're doing so we can go on and set our goals. What are we going to do today? You had a goal. You're going to do how much math? Where are you going to be? Each child, again, personalized development. Where are they at in their, their math track? Where are they at in reading? Because reading comprehension is huge for me. I want to make sure our children can read um, above grade level. And that not only can they read above grade level, but they can comprehend what they're reading. That is our main focus. And so we track that. The curriculums that we use when the children are online, those curriculums do track where they're at in that lesson, where they're struggling. And that's where the coach comes in and they're able to then give them that additional assistance that they need because we've been seeing that you're struggling with this area. You keep going around this same mulberry bush so something's up and we can see that online, so the coaches have access to that. That's how they track where the child is in their development with reading, with math. They do science projects, they do STEM projects. Our children are doing, uh, so right now they're doing superheroes. So we're doing the the black superheroes and the black superheroes is a big deal right now because what it does is it helps them to wanna be excited to read. And we all know black superheroes came into being for historical purposes there was a supernatural uh, power that was needed in that time when that hero was created. And so that gives us an opportunity to do some history with the child. Like when this, was, this, this, this hero was created, what was going on in this time in history? Now they get to do research. They get to also recognize that black that their blackness has got power somehow. So that helps our children with that. And it also opens up a whole world of animation that they didn't even know existed because they didn't realize the only black superhero most of our children know about is Black Panther, right now, anyway. But there are so many more. And I'm learning about Bumblebee. Mm -hmm. And I learned about, you know, Captain Marvel, the first Captain Marvel was a black woman. And people didn't realize it. They're like, what? And so we're all growing. And we're leading up to October because part of their um, October festivities is going to be their their superheroes being created, their own, and they get to produce that costume and they get to share with everyone who their superhero is. So these are creative ways to get them to learn math because guess what? The superhero has to have a job. Most sequel have jobs, right? So this superhero has a job. How are they paying their bills? Right. So we talk to them about financial literacy. That's a way to do creative way to do financial literacy, a way to get them to read because comic books are fun to read. So we're getting them to read. We're getting them to get engaged in math, financial literacy. It's just creative, innovative ways to make it relevant so that they'll want to do it and that we re-engage a love of learning that these children, for some reason, they lost it because of how they were oriented into the educational system.
0: I actually got chills, uh, Janelle, (laughs) when you were talking about reading because I interviewed someone on the podcast, uh, Oliver James, who went through 12 years of schooling and graduated functionally illiterate. And his story um, is a great message and a motivator for so many people, but it's also a reminder about what's not happening in schools for so many kids. Another thing that I also wanna talk to the two of you about, and it is about the role of discipline, because some of what I've seen in some of these other schools where there are too many kids in a class, where there are teachers who uh, don't have the resources that they need, you know, and I'm not trying to lay blame with anybody, I'm just talking about what is. Uh, Some of these situations are just frightening. I mean, it just, they are not, environments that strike me as being very conducive to learning. Aren't there times, and I say this as both a non-parent and um, someone who, like you, Janelle, working with the little ones is everybody has a gift. That's not my particular gift. God bless uh, those whose it is. But isn't there some times where you say, you know what, you don't feel like doing this now, but you just have to do it. You don't get to run around. You know, you don't get to experience this moment in the way you'd like to experience it, you just have to do X. How and when do you communicate that lesson to, um, to to a young person? How do you discipline when it can't always just be a matter of let's have a conversation about what you're feeling?
1: I believe that starts with, again, at the beginning of your time with that childish relationship, that child trusting that at that very moment they can't do what they want to do and they trust you enough when you say, can't do it that way this time. This is what we need to do. And then you don't get all that pushback because you've worked very hard to develop that relationship. The micro schools give our coaches the ability to do that. You know, we have two coaches in a room. So we have one in five, right? It's the way it goes. And so that child has two adults in space that they can develop a relationship with. And at any given point, and when they're having a moment, and they just got to get it done, because you just got to get it done. Like during testing time, during testing time, you just got to get just it gotta done. Got to get it done, right? Because we've developed the relationship along the way. When that adult looks that child in the eye and says, "This is what we got to get done. Now, when you finish doing this, you can go do whatever you need to do. But right now, we need to get this done. That child trusts that, just like with their parent. You know, Tanya, with your parent, when you couldn't get away with stuff and your parents said, no, I need you to get this done. (laughs) You trusted them at that moment, like they're not playing. I really have to get this done. They're going to give me wiggle room later. But right now I don't have that wiggle room. And I trust them that they are selling me right. And I don't get that wiggle room right now. And it's okay because I respect them and I trust them. And I believe that level of trust and respect and relationship is what. Is, is required to have that type of moment in the day where I look you you I and go, I'm not going to be able to do that right now.
0: I'll end where I think my story began, which is that everything that is great in my life happened because my parents believed in and had the resources to commit to my getting a great education. So it became a great priority. Let's please stay in touch. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Tanya. Absolutely. Thank you for
1: doing what you do, Tanya. Bringing, bringing bringing people closer to the different solutions that are out there. Many people don't know what they don't know, and so your show brings to light struggles, solutions, and hope. So thank you for doing. Oh, thank that. Thank you. I appreciate you.
2: And if I could just share too, um, I found your book as well, Tanya. So I'm going to order that because we have parents who are dealing with the legal system when it comes to education, and they can utilize the information in your book. But Janelle also wrote a book, and it's called Anatomy of the Black Mother, which tells who and what Black Mothers Forum is at the heart. And so that's, it, that it's really important that, that people understand that the micro schools is a part of what the work that we do. It's the end product of our work, but there's so much more that we're doing in the education space and in the justice space for uh, black and brown families.
0: Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Come back soon and let's definitely stay in touch. Sounds good.
1: Thank you, Tanya.